on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. back with an all-new Keep It, we have a return guest, former guest now, co-host, Angelina Burnett. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I have stars and hearts in my eyes. I love Angelina so much. Yes. I feel the same about you guys. So First of all, I voted for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our WGA overlord and, and comrade. <laughs> Solidarity brothers. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited that you're here Thanks. because, you know, I've always adored you as a writer. And now you have a movie coming out Saturday, Patsy and Loretta yes. on Lifetime. Yes. It is so good. Thanks, guys. And if you couldn't guess by the title, it is about Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn and their rather f- very famous friendship. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're played by Megan Hilty, who is joining us here today. Yes. 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 And, and also Jesse Mueller, who uh, played Carol King famously on Broadway, won a Tony for it, and now she's playing Loretta Lynn in this movie. So we'll talk to Megan about how great she is in this movie. Jesse Mueller's oh, my God. singing as Loretta oh, Lynn. Oh, my God. What a freak. Oh, my God. She sounds so much like Loretta Lynn, it's weird. She's so good. They're both, I mean, they're both so good. But when we found out we were casting Megan, I, I went out to dinner with Ira and I told him before it was official. And it's rare that you hear a genuine gay scream in the wild. Right. <laughs> but it was like a full on stop the restaurant for a moment gay <laughs> scream. It was great. Um, but yeah, Jessie came on at the last moment. And I, I'm ashamed to admit I, I didn't know her work, but she is unbelievable. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just fall in love with her. Both of them. I mean, oh, it's just such a gift. Yeah, it's the fact that gift. she could do. Lewis was texting me this. The fact that she could do Carol King and Loretta. Yes. No, I mean, and, and, and she was in Waitress on Broadway, yeah. but she was also mm-hmm. exceptional. But just certain people not only have great voices, their voices like channel people. Yes. They like they mm-hmm. find characters and th- th- it, you know, for instance, there are people on The Simpsons who do several different voices, and you can kind of hear it. Yeah. You would never guess that both these people were voiced by the same person. It's uh, so wild. She's so good. I'm glad you guys. Glad yeah, you guys of course. It. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. Um, I would put it and you in the ranking of white excellence. <gasps> wow. Yeah, which, which, a, which is a very short list. It's also for a me. low bar, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you're up there with like the new Vampire Weekend album oh, and with goodness. Succession. Oh, yes. Swoon. Uh, but, and also, I think next week I'm just going to give a list of top 10 white excellence. Oh, sure. That's yeah. fun. Uh, well, I su- assume Succession will be number one. Unfortunately, Succession has not reached that point where I, I started, I watched the first four or five episodes of the first season. Yeah. I've seen so much of the dialogue about it. And not that it's really annoying, but I've just read so much of it that I almost feel like coming and now there's nothing left for me. But that's, 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 a, <laughs> it, that's it's wrong. Not, it's not true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say it, I didn't drop into the first season and I, uh, I was going to, I was going to bail on it. And then everybody loved season two so much. I watched the finale of season one and jumped in in season two and it doesn't really like, like crank until season two. So just oh. like, hang on, hang uh, on. It's a ride. Yeah. I will say the finale, beautiful. The show. Oh. Is excellent. Swear. And you have to think of it as 
Veep like. It's an hour long. It's a drama. It's I'm a used, comedy. I'm putting it in Let's quotes. all be real. It's a comedy. It's, it's a, a comedy. dark comedy. Yeah. Uh huh. So if you look at it as a comedy, it's the best thing on TV. <laughs> all right. And by the way, no one is talking about Alan Rock, who I always root for. He seems like a nice guy, and he seems to be doing a great job on this show. He is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Everyone. Who is does he play? I don't. The know. oldest brother. Connor. Oh. Uh, I'm so ashamed I didn't know his name. Yeah. yeah. He's just Cameron, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first people that jumped uh, out. How can, how <laughs> That's an underrated not... celebrity marriage, by the way. He's married to Mariel Enos, who was on that show, The, the Killing. How do you yeah. know all yeah. these things? Yeah. How do you know these things? I don't know that I even pronounced her name correctly, but she was on The Killing. I know who you And yeah. Vina Sood was one of our first guests. Oh, right, yeah. Vina, yeah. she's wonderful. Anyway, um, we have got a great show for you guys tonight. That's just me pretending I'm a... Yeah, Ed Sullivan? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Frank Sinatra's coming over. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we are going to jump into the LGBTQ town hall that recently happened um, on the eve of a new debate, Ugh. which you'll have already watched by the time oh you God. listen to this. Uh, sure, it was thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about our evil overlord. Oh, God. Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. That motherfucker. He's up to no good. Uh, apparently. <laughs> eye poppingly shitty. <laughs> uh, where's Sandra Bullock in the net when you need her? I know. <laughs> and also, we have a very big announcement at the end of this episode. So listen to the whole thing. We'll be right back. We added some new Keep It merch to the Crooked Store. Thank God. It was about time. Well, Lewis, tell them what it is. We have a bright pink shirt that is adorable, fits me amazingly, that says, The Shade Begins Now, because it does when you listen to Keep It. It's just the truth. It's journalism. We also have a brunch-themed sweatshirt, which is adorable. It has a magenta and orange motif on it. And it's black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can get yours at crooked.com slash store. And we have sizes that go higher than the Pod Save America boys. Oh, my God. Yes. The erasure ends now. (laughs) Last week, nine Democratic candidates participated in CNN's LGBTQ plus Equality in America town hall, which was put on in conjunction with the HRC, Mm -hmm. the Human Rights Campaign. It was the first time in history an event of its kind was hosted by a major cable news network. And in attendance were the big four, minus Bernie. CAA, WME, ICM, sorry. (laughs) 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 Wait, what? My real friends. Plus Cory Booker, Mayor Pete, Beto, Klobuchar, and someone named Tom Steyer. Ugh. I don't know who this man is. Dozens of <laughs> potential vice presidential nominees <laughs> were there. And while there were some great showings at the town hall um, and a few touching moments, uh, it sort of made it clear that there is a lot of work to be done um, in terms of even talking about LGBTQ plus rights and in terms of some of these candidates. Like, mm. we need to move on. Mm. Uh, go home. Go home, Biden. Go, go <laughs> so home. let's just talk about Joe Biden okay. first. Biden and Anderson Cooper, uh, a pairing that I did not know I ever needed <laughs> to see. Uh, some competitive silveriness. Yes. <laughs> it was weird. So I was actually there in attendance. And 
seeing Joe Biden on stage, like in person and not just on TV, I was like, he needs to go home. He truly needs to go home. Uh, and like, I don't mean this in like a, I I do mean this in a, he, he, is, he is old and he seems confused. And I hate that we keep having to have this conversation where it's like, it is ages to bring up, you know, the fact that this man is old. It's the most important job in the world. It's the most powerful job in the world. Scientifically, we all know that the myelination in your brain starts breaking down. Synapses don't fire as fast as they used to. This is not oppression. This is science. The man is old. His brain doesn't work as good as it used to. Are we fucking kidding with this? Why is this even a fucking conversation? Go Home. A part of me thinks now, I mean, if you're going to be in your 70s, I have to have the confidence that you can do a plank. You know, you got to be in the share universe. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren is in the is is a plank stress. Well, white women have a longer life expectancy than white men, too. So it's like she is in her 70s and she is gliding along. She's sharp as a tack. Yes. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden, on the other hand, is not. There were some insane moments in this debate. Which was your favorite. (laughs) Uh, Where he's trying to talk about how far we've come in acceptance of uh, gay culture. And he said, we talked about this in San Francisco. It was all about, you know, gay bathhouses. It's all about round-the-clock sex. (laughs) Now, okay, here's the thing. I'm not saying that at one point among straight people that would have been the pseudo dialogue occurring around uh, uh, gay culture, gay people. Why is that important to bring up now? <laughs> <laughs> That's not insight now. You know what I mean? That's like being at a black town hall and being like, well, I mean, remember when you couldn't eat at this diner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Two separate water fountains. <laughs> what a time. Uh, also, um, maybe I don't want a president who was. Um, old enough to be in grad school during Jim Crow. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it that way. That's horrifying. (laughs) I'm not as infuriated by old people running or whatever, but it's just like to even bring that up as a talking point shows that you're, I think, behind on the current conversation. Yes. You also can't have the conversation that Trump seems like too old for the office without having a conversation that Biden seems too old for the office. Trump being too old is like the least of his fucking problems. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's not, you know, again, you said it with Elizabeth Warren. It's not too old. He he personally, as a human being, is clearly not functioning at a high level. Mm-hmm. This is a job you have to be functioning at a high level to do. This man, the number of times he gets in front of a microphone and wanders back to the 1950s to tell you a tale of, it's a, oh, you women might not remember Haight-Ashbury. Like, do we remember he did that a week ago? Like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. What is he talking about? talking about <laughs> this is we're in the middle of an international crisis yeah. like shit is fucked up we need someone with mental acuity bare minimum and he displays over and over again that he's just too fucking slow to do the job and i can't believe that it's somehow a problem to say that out loud let's fucking say it he's too old to do the job speaking of someone who was not yes elizabeth warren oh dreamboat i love her so (laughs) she was a clear standout at the town hall um not only did she have a comprehensive lgbtq platform she also came to have a good time (laughs) yeah Yeah. she was jazzed i was like did she listen to some beyonce before she came out because (laughs) she had jokes uh and not uh 
not pre-planned jokes. Um, Seemingly, like, I like, keep wondering like, like about Amy that. Klobuchar. Oh yeah, well that well she has one pre-planned thing to say. Yes, um, and maybe that just means that Elizabeth Warren is better at delivering material. Could be. Yeah, uh, but she, she famously had this one remark when someone asked, "Well, what what happens if someone comes up to me and says uh, my religious beliefs are that it's between one man and one woman?" She replied. Uh, you, I guess you have. Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that, and I'm going to say, "Then just marry one woman." I'm cool with that, <laughs> assuming you can find one. Now, when she said, "Assuming you can find one," it was the first, delivery. She waited for a beat, uh. and the lean in her walk when she did it was uh, some original Kings of Comedy shit. I was like, "Are you Bernie Mac?" <laughs> It was so surprisingly. Assuming you could ac- find one, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, of course, an acute joke. Uh, but also, my favorite thing about that statement is the beginning of it, when she says, "Well, I'm going to assume it's a man," because that is a patriarchal belief at its core. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that she did very well, though, yeah. uh, and I think that at this point, when you have someone like this in the race. It just seems silly when you're getting to the end and you have someone like a Tom Steyer. Ugh. It's like if you are being placed last, <sighs> give it up. I'm, oh, I, you know, a, a, a good friend of mine who I, I love a lot is running Steyer's campaign, and um, so I, I, I want to be very careful. But I'm so fucking sick of these rich white men. <laughs> I'm so sick that the entitlement of caping into this race at the last minute is it's bonkers like it's the amount of money this man is flushed down the toilet oh it's it's go away and there's rumors that bloomberg says he's not done if biden Ugh. struggles against elizabeth warren which is so encouraging to all of us i love an underdog billionaire you know what i'm saying right well if this white man is taken out by a woman well one has to rise up to replace him it's like highlander <laughs> it, it really is a testament though to how formidable she is that, mm-hmm. that all these rich folks are this scared of her it means she's they can sense that she has a shot at actually shifting the system mm-hmm. um yeah uh what was interesting was seeing mayor pete at the town hall mm. because obviously he is a gay man that's true so i've heard wait what mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh before the town hall he released an 18 page plan he is long-winded. <laughs> um, he's read Ulysses, and now he wants everyone else to read long things, too. Right. Um, he released an 18-page plan saying he would undo the policy that blocks military veterans from receiving insurance coverage for gender reassignment surgery and at non-binary gender options on government documents. Um, actually, really interesting on that, uh, if we can talk about Warren again briefly, is um, – I just liked the matter of factness of when she was asked about her previous stance on whether gender reassignment, um, paying for that was appropriate. And mm-hmm. she says, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And she just says point blank, I was wrong on that. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. by the way, uh, I mean, like, that's heartening that she can be that frank about it. But secondly, also, everybody was wrong about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'm not saying that, it, like, excuses certain lines of thinking, but just we've, uh, again, when it comes to transgender people, I mean, how much dialogue has only occurred in the past three years? It's stunning, actually, when you really stop and think about how fast we've moved on this issue. And the fact that that 70-year-old woman, whether she's coming around legitimately or she's forced to come around by the reality of the Democratic electorate, mm-hmm. either way, that's massive. That's, yeah. that's a massive shift. 
She is not daunted by empathy in any way. No. She, and she incorporates it so brilliantly into her plans. Yeah. Well, and even just speaking um, about that topic then, um, I think one of the biggest highlights of the event was that uh, many of the candidates were interrupted by transgender mm-hmm. activists, mm-hmm. all of whom felt the town hall was not doing enough to draw attention to the many murdered black trans women in America. Um and one of them was a friend of mine, Blossom Brown, and she took the mic from an audience member while Beto was talking, and she said, black trans women are dying, our lives matter, I am an extraordinary black trans woman, and I deserve to be here. And there were some other protesters during Mayor Pete and Kamala, and it was weird to me that there was a town hall and not a single black trans woman asked a question during it. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like, they, I mean, allegedly one was scheduled to ask, and then they cut the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Ashley Marie Preston, um, who is uh, a surrogate for the Warren campaign, says that she was originally going to be asking a question, but that it was cut. Yeah, which just reminds me, you know, as much as I um, have enjoyed doing some work with the HRC, you know, they still have, like, a lot to be <laughs> doing. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb because I, 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 that moment was really fascinating to me. I just went to Chicago to see our friend Terrell McCraney's play, mm-hmm. um, Ms. Black for President, which is about um, uh, a black trans woman who ran for president in, what was it, the 80s? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the play, she goes to the Democratic National Convention in New York and tries to get on the floor to, to protest, and, and she's stopped by the cops. And there was this moment when Blossom got up, I think it was, I think it was Blossom, when Anderson Cooper said... Um, you know, there's this history in the in the in the LGBTQ community of this kind of protest, and we welcome it. And and it sort of stopped there. Mm-hmm. And it was this what was really interesting too was being in the audience. I was behind um, India Moore huh. from Post, um, and she, I don't know if you could hear it on TV, but she responded to him when he was like, um, "It's great, you know, to see people." Because um, when that first protester happened. Um, all the trans women in the room stood up yeah. and were like um, cheering her on right. and like chanting like black trans lives matter. Uh, and Anderson was like, it's great to see everyone sort of like applauding this because, you know, we have a history of protests, et cetera. And India like shouted like we weren't applauding. Uh, you know, right. it's like we're not we're not like here celebrating yeah. the spirit of protest. Like we're protesting. Yeah. I want to celebrate these women and lift them up. And I'm thrilled they did what they did. Mm-hmm. And yet they came with a form of protest mm-hmm. from an old time. Mm-hmm. And I watched Blossom be handed a mic mm-hmm. and and talk about how nobody had asked a question mm-hmm. and not have a question. And I think we've moved so far forward that the tactics have to evolve. Mm-hmm. There was such an opportunity there that I think was frankly missed. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, black trans women are dying at an absurd rate. And then what? What is the? How do you force these candidates mm-hmm. on this stage to speak to this issue in a meaningful way? And that I was so excited when she stood up, and then it 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 stopped. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I hope that the next time a moment like this happens, um, they're able to take it to the next level because this is you know there are not cops at the door stopping them. They were allowed to. St- there's if you don't have that pressure, if you don't have that moment on screen where um, you know your moment of of the dogs. And and the and the and the hoses in the streets of Birmingham. You don't have that moment where white America sees it and goes, "Holy fuck, something's fucked up." What white America saw was saying, "Hey, well, you're here. We welcome you. This is great." And that's not going to push the movement forward. So mm-hmm. I'm thrilled it happened, but I I felt like it was a missed opportunity. I do think it's interesting though the way Anderson Cooper responded to it because on the one hand he was at least sort of giving lip service to the idea that these people are welcome and. Um, he wants to hear what they have to say. But in a way, 
I wish he had taken some of their messaging, which was kind of apparent, and looped it into what was yeah. being discussed. Yeah. Because what I think he did was actually just control the tone of the Absolutely. room <laughs> without actually incorporating those people, which is Absolutely. what he said he was doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly my point, is they, li- they let this guy co-opt their moment mm-hmm. to yeah. look like he and his organization were progressive, when in right. fact what he was doing was shutting them down. Right. And, and so th- they just, ha- we all have to be prepared to like find the other way in, because we've all, everybody, the, that sort of media establishment has gotten real smart about branding protest and branding resistance. Mm-hmm. So how do we evolve beyond that? Yeah, that's what I feel like, I when I was saying India response to that because yeah. it was it was it was the fact of this is in the spirit of protest this is stonewall yeah. um and it makes it seem now like every time a protest of this type happens and any sort of political event it's like oh we planned this little protest yeah. to remind Look you at that our play. protest is fun yeah did you like our did you like our show we put on a show for you uh i will note that blossom tweeted about that moment and um about the fact that there should be some sort of town hall specifically on trans mm. issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beto responded to her that he would love to have that town hall and he wants to make it happen, which... I'm a cynical motherfucker. Listen, I mean, he's got to He get, loves an opportunity. He's got to get votes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Beto, Beto would love a town hall on... Uh, um, the Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich <laughs> if I demanded <laughs> yes. it. But um, I, I do... Um, Constantly wonder and continue wanting to have conversations with black trans mm. friends of my own, you know, just about what we all can do to push these candidates yeah. forward, to have it be a national conversation. Yeah. Should we discuss the uh, pronoun moment with Kamala Harris? Well, you know, and if Anderson Cooper was, you know, trying to keep the tone, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo Lord was um, doing something. <laughs> he is he's a comedian now he thinks he's so funny he is so hot <laughs> and what so dumb what i think chris cuomo's hot okay takes all kinds to make a world i guess <laughs> <laughs> i didn't love those sneakers he was wearing but you know kenneth cole makes mistakes sometimes <laughs> oh, uh, sneakers with a suit uh yeah, you're looking but... like you host double dare <laughs> <laughs> although anderson Cooper did use the term transgendered at mm. one point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not as awful as Chris Cuomo um, when Kamala Harris came on stage and said that her um, pronouns are she and hers. Cuomo said, mine too. <sighs> it, it just spoke to, and he apologized for it on Twitter eventually, but just a general glibness about actual struggles people are going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I, the actual joke is that our language is somehow structured in a, in its core nuts and bolts around gender. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, why does that have to come up when I'm referring to you? You know, when I'm talking about anything, and instead, even the idea of saying constantly at the debate same-sex marriage, uh, which implies men getting married and women getting married, and doesn't include you know non-binary mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. You know, you should just use the term marriage equality. Right, right, right. So, I mean, thankfully he apologized for that comment, but God, it's just it's just not hard to not make a joke about that. Yeah. I don't know. And I think there's a lot, I mean, I say this as somebody who's 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 struggled with this shift. I, I'm a I'm a writer and I love words and I love language and 
you get into habits, right? It took me a minute to get my head around using they and their. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something I spoke about publicly because it's my problem, yeah. not anybody else's problem. But there's a hit, there was a hitch in my, there's still a hitch in my brain. Um, and then you have the moment of shame and guilt. And so it turns into this little perpetual fucked up oppression machine in your head where instead of just being like, I have to deal with my shit and learn how to shift, you externalize it because you don't want to deal with the feeling of pain and shame inside. So it's, right. I, mm -hmm. I absolutely respect the challenge for the vast majority of people who did not grow up with this issue in their lives and are having to make a mental jump. Um, Absolutely. What I what I don't have patience for is actively making a choice to be a dick about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I can be empathetic if you screw up pronouns or you say transgendered by accident. Like we're mm -hmm. all in a learning, as you said earlier, Lewis, like this has moved very, very quickly. Um, we're all going to have to adapt and some people are going to screw up and we're going to have to be kind and patient and forgive each other. But you don't have to be an active asshole. That's mm -hmm. where I draw the line. Yeah. Especially when the payoff is wasn't that funny. It's not a good joke. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. Mine too. Just call me she. All right. <laughs> Stop. Also, I, I believe Kamala responded with, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's prosecutor humor right there. Oh, I love her. Uh, she's going to lock his ass up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. When we're back, Megan Hilton. <gasps> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024... The title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. 
Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. I am so excited to have <laughs> Megan V. Hilty <laughs> in here with us. Uh, and also, I'm so glad that guest hosting this week is my friend Angelina, who wrote Patsy and Loretta, yep. which you are Phenomenal. Oh my gosh, thanks. Yes. So you saw it? Yes. Oh, yes, I saw yes, it. Yes, oh, yes, great. We saw it. oh, great. I'm sort of a Patsy Loretta scholar, period. So I was like, well, we'll see. And then I know. You, yeah. br- you brought it. It's a well, fabulous we, performance. We, we got, thank you so much. We all kind of assumed that everybody watching it is is kind of going into it going, okay, let's see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's just kind of something that we have to accept going into it. <laughs> How familiar were you with Patsy Cline when the project started? Did you know every song she ever released? Did you know nothing? What did you know? You know, I was familiar with who, like, that she was a person mm-hmm. and that she, uh, like, her iconic catalog I was absolutely aware of. What I didn't know was how incredibly fascinating she was as a person. Like, I didn't know her personal life. I certainly didn't know about her friendship with Loretta. Um, So all of this felt like such, really, like a blessing in that I got to learn so much about one of the most powerful women in music, period. And then kind of try to step in her shoes and walk around for a couple weeks in them. I think you absolutely did. Oh, thanks. I was was texting with Lewis uh, while we were both watching it at our separate homes. I was thinking, you know, going in, I'm like, you know what? I've seen Sweet Dreams. You know, I've seen Jessica Lange. Mm -hmm. Um, Your interpretation of Patsy is just so, so lived in. You know, like... Obviously, Thank I love. Obviously, I love Jessica Lange. But of watching it, it, it doesn't feel like Patsy. And the movie itself, um, I appreciate that Patsy and Loretta focuses on their female friendships mm-hmm. and really just about women in country music. Yeah. Whereas every story I feel like we've seen before has been very much focused on her marriage and like the melodrama and like men. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're absolutely right. And that was one of the the big reasons why I desperately wanted to do this was because this genius script. Yes, we're talking about icons and legends and uh, all of that, but at its core, it's about two women who love and support each other. Um, that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, we rarely see 
film and television uh, centered around two women that support each other. Mm -hmm. I, I, whoever makes the decisions on what it is that we watch seems to think that audiences only want to see women tearing each other down in constant conflict. But this script proves that you can have two women who love and support each other and not without conflict, mm -hmm. certainly, but it's still interesting. And, and I, I can only hope that this kind of lets people know that, that we can do and should do more stories yeah. like this. Now, I was going to say Angelina. So when you wrote this, I, I assume you're uh, the daughter of T-Bone Burnett. Your stepmom is Callie Corey. That's a lot of Nashvillea occurring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, have you been familiar with this story your entire life? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I grew up being Patsy. I, I, I didn't really come to Loretta's music till later in life, but Patsy... Um, Patsy took care of me. Yeah. You know, I had a, God bless my mother, I love her very much, but I had a tumultuous childhood. And um, I, for years and years, I fell asleep to Patsy Clyde every single night. Mm. Um, and it, she, she, it was her, there was, there's something about the tone and the quality of her voice that is just like this warm blanket. I mean, she really took care of me. I think, regardless of intent, all storytelling is political. Fundam sure. fundamentally because you're either reflecting the world back as it is and saying this is acceptable in the way as it, it should be or you're undermining it and saying either this is bad or there's another way to look at it and every single story you tell can be put through that filter mm. All About Eve is one of my favorite movies ever made it's a true masterpiece mm -hmm. by the way as is Showgirls <laughs> which, is, real, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is really just a remake of All About Eve um, <laughs> Working Girl but it's all this there can be only one mythology yeah. and we have to accept the fact that when we tell that story over and over and over again, we internalize it. We Absolutely. believe it's true. Mm -hmm. I spent much of my 20s thinking, I have to be a chick who can hang. I have to run with the boys. The only way I'm going to get ahead is if I'm like a dude. Yeah. Um, and you come out the other side of that and you're kind of empty inside. So I saw in this story this incredible opportunity, a true life story about women who took care of each other. Yeah. Like they were, there is very little room for women in country music back then and now. It's worse for women now. They will not play women back to back on country radio. They won't right. do it. How far? It is 2019 and you're telling me you can't play Miranda Lambert and Reba McIntyre back to back? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, seriously. It is weird it's to me insane. that we had to discover Casey Musgraves through the internet. Lord have uh, because mercy. Because I've been in many an Uber or Lyft in like even in LA where the drivers like they're listening to country. You don't hear a woman. No. 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 It's madness. I also, what I like about this movie too is that um, for instance, like I think casually in a Wikipedia sense, what people know about Patsy Cline is that she had a couple of very famous songs and then died young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like the movie Judy and that. All right. Well, let's take this other sect of her mm -hmm. life, which was arguably more important, arguably, you know, um, something just people don't know about. And it, uh, it really vivifies it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now I think of Patsy Cline differently because I've seen this movie. Oh, God. By the way, I, just say that. I think people yeah. might not know that she died as young as she did yeah, because no. Patsy Cline is sort of. You know, like in the 60s, like the way people did their hair or something, yeah. just like women looked older. She, so she was she, 30 years yeah, old. She, yeah. she also, even from a young age, looked very, very mature. It was so funny. I follow um, the Patsy Cline Museum. They 
reposted this photo of her when she was 12 in like the seventh grade or something like that. And they were like, so Patsy's on the second row, two people in. And I was like, of course she is. She looks like the teacher. Yeah. You know, like she, <laughs> like you cannot mistake her. There was something and she was forced. It's so, it's so interesting to me that, um, and, and I've heard you say this before, that, that her voice just took care of you mm. because she was forced to be a caretaker yes. from a very early age, and I think that's a role that she just fell into naturally, and she didn't really complain about, like, that's just who she was. She she took care of her family. She took care of her siblings. She took care of her friends, and she took care of all the women around her mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Loretta was not the only one that she took under her wing, mm-hmm. um, which I found incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the many parts of this blessing that I'm I'm calling it, the of... of uh, getting to do this research on this remarkable person, many women came forward and said, oh, yeah, she took me under her wing mm-hmm. and and told me how to handle myself in business, how to dress, how to make sure I got paid, how to speak to my musicians and to, and know which keys my songs are in so that I can... D- just all of these things in a stern but loving way. Mm-hmm. You know, this that's just who she was. Um, it was interesting seeing um, even a little cameo of like June Carter. Yeah. In, in right, right, you know, right. Like yeah. years before she married um, Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um, just in that circle of women in yeah. country. Um, speaking of like women in country, I want to shift a bit because we mentioned Callie um, who oh. directed it. Yes. Uh, and you know, it's, it's so interesting seeing a story like this as opposed to um, – you know, I love the initial parts of like Nashville. You know that that relationship, um, and I also obviously stand you, Megan, from Smash, uh, <laughs> which is a great show. Um, so does homosexuality <laughs> in general stands you? On, I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, uh, but what does it feel like being able to do Patsy and Loretta, and the fact that it's going to shift what people see you as? You know, in popular culture, because I feel like. Just for so much now, it's always going to be you pitted against Catherine McPhee right. because that story was two women fighting, fighting. for a yeah. role. Yeah, which is why it was so important for me to do something like this. And uh, on a side note, I've never played a brunette before, so that's, that's, <laughs> that's very exciting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. What an oh, honor yeah. to be a part of that journey. Uh, yeah, this was a, a really big deal for me. Um yeah, no, that's the, exactly what you're saying is, is why it was so important for me to be a part of it. It's it's funny, ever since um, my I had my kids, uh, my mind has kind of shifted in how I choose what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And now it's, well, are they going to be proud of this? Mm-hmm. You know, how will, how will this affect my daughter? How will this affect my son? You know, um, and this this was by far the easiest decision because I'm 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 just so deeply proud to be a part of this story um and and what it means for all of us. Yeah. Um also I mean something that should be noted I don't know if we've hit this yet you sing the songs mm. in this film and th- yeah. it sounds incredible. Oh thanks. And we were just talking about the quality of Patsy Cline's voice. Not only is she a great singer but there's just that Angelina touched on this when she says you can you tuck yourself into bed to it. There's mm-hmm. something like it's just so specific. I would compare it. She's like country's Karen Carpenter or something. Mm. There's something where it's like you feel it in your spine mm-hmm. when she sings. So when there's somebody with that kind of X factor voice, how do you go about tackling it? How how long does that take to achieve what you consider, you know, a, a worthy tribute or imitation of Patsy Cline? Right. Um, first of all, I cry and cry and cry <laughs> until um, no. Uh, I uh, it it's an extremely daunting 
thing to take on. Um, if you think about it too much. Yeah. <laughs> My trick is, is I just don't think about it. No, um, I... I've been fortunate enough to play other roles where I've either played a person or something that someone else has made iconic already. So the bar has already been set like way, 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 way too high for me to um, even think about touching. Um, so know that you're going to disappoint a lot of people. You're not going to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just it. Like, the, And some people will just never be happy. The other thing is is – at the at the crux of these two women, both both Patsy and Loretta, arguably one of the things that made them so so uh, wildly popular was how genuine they were. Mm. And to achieve that, you can't just go and mimic them. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm not a mimic. Like I, that's not what I do. I would. I that's would also, interesting. I would. Yeah. I would assume you're somebody who could just up and do that. No, no, yeah. I am. I am not a mimic. So that I I have to be honest with myself about that and give myself a little bit of a break. Uh, But I also don't want to be a a mimic. I don't want to simply try to do things exactly how she would do them because that's not honest. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a very... It's a balancing act in in doing as much research as I can of of who she was uh, and and what her essence is and try to capture that on this side. And then on the other side bring myself to it. And there's something in the middle where the performance lies. You have to let go of the research after a certain point. Absolutely. Because if if I don't make it my own and, and bring myself to it, it's there's nothing human about it. It's just me trying to be someone else. If I'm not there and if I don't connect to it on a personal level, then uh, the audience certainly won't. So it's this this constant balancing act and it was deeply fascinating as like technically speaking as a singer listening to her voice and listening like really kind of analyzing uh, what it was about her and and there is something about her tone that physically resonates inside of us in a a different place than than other singers and at that time they didn't have anything fancy to compress their voices Mm -hmm. to auto-tune anything that dehumanizes her they had um some people called it a a primitive (laughs) way of recording but actually i think that's what allows singers to come across and actually reach you in that Mm -hmm. physical space that that she does so luckily she was singing in a time where they didn't put all of this fancy shit on their voices mm-hmm. and, yeah. and make them sound like a computer. You know, you're hearing all of her. Mm-hmm. And the, the I'm sorry, I'm talking too much, but the, <laughs> this, this gets me just so excited. Mm-hmm. She also, something about her phrasing that she she was so she was so ahead of her time because she combined so many different genres in one phrase. You can hear country, jazz, soul, pop, everything. Like there's so much in there in just how how she phrases things um, that I, I think that's why she became so wildly popular so quickly because the combination of those two things, it, it physically resonated deep inside of us and her phrasing spoke to everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I could go on and on, but like it, it, it was fascinating. I want to give Megan a little credit because, well, yes, you're not a mimic and you capture her voice in your own unique, beautiful way. And it's gotten to a point where I like I almost forget what she I've seen the movie so many times. I kind of almost <laughs> forget what Patsy sounds like. Um, but there is a moment. There might be two. But there's one moment in the movie that I lifted directly the, the line I lifted directly from a live uh, performance of hers. And 
if I closed my eyes, I wouldn't know the difference between makeup. Like sh- you nailed that moment. The the you know what are you laughing? What are you? Ballroom. Yeah, what are you yeah. laughing about? You weren't there. You weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, when I saw those dailies, I was like, holy shit, it's Patsy. <laughs> but here's the thing about that. That's the only recording I have yeah. to go on. The that that was was a particular. Uh, tricky thing about this was that um, the only recordings I have of her speaking are in a performance mm-hmm. setting, and it was told through many biographies that she was she spoke differently in front of an audience as we all do, yeah. mm-hmm. but she particularly was terrified that people would hear that she wasn't educated, mm-hmm. and so she had a very like s- like careful way of speaking. When she was in front of an audience or on the radio or in, or on television. And um, so there was pretty much nothing to go off of for what she would sound like talking to her friends in a, in a more comfortable setting. So a lot of that was guesswork, you know, yeah. like how and, – and luckily I'm a performer myself and I, I understand the differences – in me and my my other performer friends, so there there's there's some something about that that I can understand. But but yeah, there was a there was a if I had <laughs> more stuff, it, it probably it probably would have been better. I don't know. No, that reminds me of yeah, so I don't good. know if you've heard uh, Audra McDonald in this uh, play called Lady Day at oh, Emerson's Bar. Oh, I saw Bar her. I okay. saw her on Broadway. No, yes. Okay. Yeah. Now that's such an interesting case because mm-hmm. obviously we have she plays Billie Holiday and, and it's a play, but she sings a bunch of songs in it. We have tons of recordings of Billie Holiday, obviously, but it's a lot of her talking between the songs, mm-hmm. and she kind of uses her singing voice to to as her talking voice. And it feels like a very wild swing to me, and I'm glad she did it because it's super specific. But I realize also that's so hard to realize to figure out what somebody talks like through what they sing like. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, speaking just even about um, Andre and that, you know, um, you're also a fantastic theater actress. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you. You know, and. Uh, you know you are. <laughs> <laughs> I work in the theater, yeah. and that I can agree with. The other parts. <laughs> um, how do you uh, really just sort of prepare yourself for a theatrical role versus something like this? Especially since you know you're talking about you know you're playing like Patsy in this, you know, or it's or you in theater, you know, you're usually stepping into a role that maybe someone has done before too. Yeah. Well, I, I mean. And and you could argue if you if you wrote down the things that I've done, the one through line is that somebody else already made it really, really, really famous. And I'm just the dummy that's like, oh. okay, I'll try it after they perfected it. Sure. Um, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier is is that that's what helped me settle down in something like this, is that mm-hmm. is is realizing that like I'm I'm not like when I went into Wicked shortly after Kristen Chenoweth left, is like, well, I'm not Kristen. You know, mm-hmm. I have to... That's where I first had the the really big, hard lesson of, like, oh, I can't be a robot. I can't I can't just mm-hmm. do the things that she did because it's not funny it, sitting mm-hmm. in me, you know? And then with 9 to 5 playing, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not Dolly Parton, but it <laughs> is, you know? Like, yeah. the, the, it's Dora Lee is... Dolly. I mean, it's Dolly. <laughs> you know, one of the so, great like, comedy roles, one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm a so, Jane Fonda stand too, so I've oh, seen that movie sure. a million times. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's that's that's the thing. It's just researching as much as I can, and then at some point, trusting that it's there and that I've got the rest of it. Mm-hmm. You if, know, if I can ask about um, 
you, we talked earlier about um, the kind of roles we're looking for, and um, specifically about how it was so exciting to do something, so you know, female friendships, um, and how women support one another. Um, what do you feel like is missing from maybe the theatrical roles that you're offered, or is there anything new you'd like to see um, on Broadway that hasn't really been tapped? Me and Jesse did not know each other before this. Uh, we'd met like socially, like quickly and but didn't know each other and we became very fast friends on this set and um and once we realized that like oh we're gonna be like besties forever mm-hmm. we're like we were trying to think of all the things that we could do and we're we couldn't think of any musicals that we could do mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah aside like from even to... wicked which you know has alphaba and glenda towards right the right. end you know like for good and right. stuff but it's so many of the roles i feel like that you would take on as a woman in theater are right. romantic roles uh-huh. um, you're opposite of man yeah and l- i've been very fortunate that uh most of the stuff that i've done is very female centric i mean mm-hmm. with wicked and nine to five those are very you know female heavy shows uh, but we even put our producer, Neil Marin, who is a Broadway aficionado, you know, like he just knows everything. We're like, think of a, a show for us to do. And it took him days to to come up with something. So we just have to we just have to start Some, coming up with new stuff. I think somebody's stuff. probably going to have to write something. I think yeah. so. I, I think so. I wonder who could do that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Can I vocalize what I think my dream project is for you? What? This is me right now. You should be in a Dixie Chicks bio. You <gasps> can play Natalie Maines. You mm. are not the first person to like do the Natalie Maines thing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, which I find as a... High compliment. She's one of she my is. favorite vocalists. Also, yeah. Angelina, as you dr- <laughs> drum your fingers like Svengali, <laughs> <laughs> does strike me as a very ideal project for you. Yeah. Just saying, I mean, you guys have fun, but yeah. 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 I like that. I like, I like Jesse yeah, Mueller after. as uh, Emily or Marty. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. They're yep. from my hometown, by the way. Are you oh, serious? Yeah. Is that, North Texas. <gasps> yes, right. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love them so much. Yeah. Are, they, are they back? Are we, are, are, are we excited for the Dixie Chicks, like, are they able to enter back in now? I don't know. Everything. We yes, need them more now than sure. ever. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, 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 I, you know, yeah, I just, I always feel like, you know, are, are, did Beyonce help? Like, are they over the hump of the past of how we, they I were mean, treated? I mean, I don't know that they'll, well, nobody sells millions of records anymore, but like, I don't know that they'll ever be welcomed back into country music mm-hmm. in a, the beloved way that they were. But the monoculture's blasted apart. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's such a different culture now than it was 15, 20 years ago when they, you know, said what most of us were thinking and right. got absolutely pilloried for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, for the young folks out there, they they went to England and said that George Bush wasn't their president, and and people in Texas started setting their albums on fire. Um, <laughs> Any other women in country we've forgotten that we should mention before we stop? Crystal Gale's "Half the Way," one oh, of my favorite oh songs. My goodness yeah. Gracious, yeah. Gracious, yeah. Love that song. Yeah. Um, last question. Mm. Um, you know, you've mixed so many of the songs that you've sung in the past, you know, um, from your roles into, like, your repertoire when you do, like, a live concert performance. Oh, yeah. Um, what Patsy song are you most excited to continue singing? Oh, gosh. Well, I've already put Walkin' in Crazy's Hard. Crazy's Hard. I feel like that shouldn't be touched. You know what I mean? I feel <laughs> mm-hmm. like pe- and people, people want to hear it, but... I don't what I love about how it was done in our film is that it's a very specific scenario that we never heard her 
sing in. Mm -hmm. You know, we're guessing how she would sing that song and arrange that song for a memorial instead of um, singing it at one of her concerts, which actually takes a lot of the the worry and the burden off of my shoulders to try to match the perfection that's already there. Like, how do you... So I feel like Walk-In will already always be there because it's so fun, mm-hmm. and my band is amazing on it. Um, and But there's another one that I want to do. Um, oh, She's Got You, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of my favorite... I mean, uh, her the deep dive into her catalog was one of the greatest... Uh, pieces of quote-unquote research that I <laughs> got to do. I mean, like, that was just a joy. Yes. I dove in after Angelina was saying that she was working on this movie because mm. I was like, well, I'd better know more Patsy <laughs> Cline music. Even yeah. though I knew Walkin' because my, my grandmother used to listen to Patsy oh, Cline. Yeah. Um, so Walkin' was a song that I'd always yeah. heard. Right. Um, but from that same album... Um, her own Jolene, uh, Three Cigarettes in an <gasps> oh Ashtray, is yes. maybe yes. my favorite yes. Patsy Cline it's song. It's so oh great. Have you seen the video of her doing that on television? No, but I need to check it out. It's so good. It's She's so, so good. good. She's so good. Oh, fun fact before we head out. It is very crazy that, to, speaking of the Sweet Dreams of Jessica Lange, that is reportedly, and Mer- out of Meryl's own mouth, the one role she regrets not getting. <gasps> and what's crazy about that is she looks like Patsy Cline. You think they would sort of like cast her as it. It's anyway, I still think about that. And the yeah. same director who did French Lieutenant's Woman directed Meryl in Sweet Dreams, so it's odd that he did not cast her again. Wow. I will say, just I'm gonna take this opportunity to say that um to go out on a limb here and say I loathe Sweet Dreams. Uh, I absolutely loathe it. Well, it's sort of a traditionally dated biopic in a lot it of is, ways. But yeah. if you if you go because I, I hadn't seen it until I I was like I'm gonna watch the cover looks like an erotic thriller. Yeah, <laughs> I was like I'm gonna watch this because I want to make sure I avoid I, yeah, like, yeah. I don't accidentally do the same scene because <laughs> right? this is oh, one of the challenges of course, with of course telling yeah. someone's life story where there's only yeah. limited factual information is you don't want to repeat it. Um, right, right. But that movie starts with her husband Charlie Dick. It is her movie. It uh, starts with him. You walk with him into the dance Mm -hmm. and you see Patsy for the first time through his eyes. And I got so furious that the opening of our movie is a direct response to that. It's the exact same barn dance and you start in Patsy's POV and she sees him. And I did that really specifically because that that moment pissed me off. And then they just, then he just beats the shit out of her for two hours. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'm so glad we took the time with this incredible woman to watch her her stalker show up at the dance and like (laughs) think about how he's going to drag her by the hair. And they're, and by the way, you, the musical. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. their marriage wasn't as nearly as tumultuous and vicious as it was portrayed no. in that movie. At no. all. It also, was very the, the plane crash yeah. is very an SNL sketch, too. Oh, my God. But, um, yeah. There yeah. Was, I got a note. I probably shouldn't say this. I'm talking out of school. But I got a note. They really wanted to see the plane crash. And oh. I was like, you don't. You do no, not spend enough no. money on your movies to yeah. do this plane crash. But also, I think it's better this way. Yeah, it's I so, totally so much more moving because we Thank all you. know. We know. We all know that the ship sinks at yeah. the end. Like we yeah. know, and and to see it actually takes away from it. It's that old like Hitchcock thing where yes. like it's yes. actually more powerful if you don't see it because in your mind your mind's gonna paint that picture whole. and it's gonna be so much more vivid than anything we can put on the screen. Absolutely, right. and everybody who watches it is like, don't, don't. get on. Spoiler alert, everyone who doesn't know yeah. the story. Yeah. You'll <laughs> sorry, see the plane crash when Tarantino does <laughs> yeah. it. Right, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Thank you so much for being here. Oh my Megan. gosh, thank you for having You're me. Such yeah, a blast. Yeah, oh so exciting to meet you. Me too. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna I'm gonna force you to sing Let's Be Bad to me outside. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a lot of lyrics in that song. <laughs> and do not forget that Passing on Loretta airs on Lifetime Saturday at 8 p.m. Watch it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Show of hands, who even still uses their Facebook account? I've got bad news. I do. Mm. Unfortunately, I do like keeping in touch with relatives who post, you know, coffee memes. (laughs) I can't explain it. It's a problem I have. I feel like I got off Facebook for a good year and a half, two years, and I had to come back because I needed to log into Facebook to use some app because Facebook is so omnipresent. It has tentacles and everything. It's it's like anytime you want to use something, it's like logging in through your Facebook account. I was like, fuck. So I just logged back in and now it's still there. And every so often I will go and see that I have friend requests from people who I'm already friends with in real life. And it just seems weird to me to need to add someone as a friend on Facebook anymore in 2019. I do have to say, though, I, in a way, miss the era of necessarily friending on Facebook anybody you meet in real life. Because, by the way, I forget people's names, Mm -hmm. especially if you are a man, especially if you are named something like Dan. (laughs) (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Remember you? Your parents didn't want you to be remembered. They're named Dan. Which is all to say that Facebook, uh, since it launched, has been part of our lives and doesn't seem like it is going away. Um, But Mark Zuckerberg um, is making it increasingly difficult to ignore um, Facebook's ills. Um, Not only has he ruined the integrity of our elections, now he's feuding with Elizabeth Warren and having secret dinners with Republicans like Lindsey Graham and Tucker Carlson. Those are unhinged raccoon people. (laughs) 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 Republican Uh, pundits is is a stretch. Yeah. Shep Smith was a Republican pundit. Precisely. Yes. Was. He left Fox News, which means he's dead now. No, he'll be back. (laughs) 
I just you took their money for a long time, dude. You get no fucking cookies for getting your shit together now in the world's. Well, I know Megyn Kelly's already going back on Fox to be interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Gross. It begins. Anyway, Facebook. The the thing that I feel like people don't fully grok about Facebook is it is international, Mm -hmm. and there are large swaths of the world where Facebook is the internet, like. This isn't going anywhere. And in fact, they're shifting their whole business model away from advertising to cryptocurrency. Like, I hope they're not able to get, I hope whatever regulation comes in and stops this. But they, they, this is like, this is no joke. Facebook is insinuating it itself into our daily lives in a terrifying way. And the lack of responsibility, the lack of thought, the lack of care um, from Zuckerberg, who has basically the way he set up his company, he has total fucking control. Like, mm-hmm. there's no one to put a governor on his actions. Um, I, I find him terrifying. I find Facebook terrifying. I find the whole fucking thing profoundly dangerous. We should have listened to the Winklebot. I mean, <laughs> and you know, kudos to fucking Aaron Sorkin. Be- one, first of all, that's one of my favorite movies. That is a brilliantly constructed film. Deserved the Oscar. It ab- I, I absolutely. Will say that. Absolutely. You're, you're looking at me like I'm a King's Speech stan. <laughs> 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 but like I hate rich white guys from Harvard so much um, and he felt in that movie he made Zuckerberg feel like this middle class kid who was going up against the rich establishment that I came out of that movie kind of like I don't know I'm kind of I'm kind of rooting for Mark Zuckerberg for the Winkle Vi <laughs> yeah. especially since we are like the Facebook generation yes. right you know that, mm-hmm. it's been it, I've used it since 2004 for sure yeah I, I just, I, you know, there was a lot of Sturm and Drang when that movie came out about how unfair it was to him. And I was like, I don't know. I think I think Sorkin did you a big favor. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's actually very fair to him. I yeah. agree with you. I am on Zuckerberg's side the entire film. Mm-hmm. You're on his side in those hearings um, where he's making um, quips because yep. everyone else seems like, they're evil yeah. and only about money. And yeah. he's about, you know, trying to bring the world together, which completely does not jive with the actual Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And I think that so much of us have this idea of Zuckerberg in our brains from that yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, not to get off on a Sorkin track, but it, it, every every lead character in his movies is an avatar for himself. I mean, Completely. and this is this is also true of most writers, but but especially so for him. Of course, and he also s- loves ice skating and illegal <laughs> poker games. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, but so in that movie, Zuckerberg is him, and he's the one. It's about a creator, right? It's about this this wealth, this value was created out of my own mind, and I deserve control and compensation for that, which is fundamentally a story that I resonate with. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate reality is this isn't about a bunch of people getting on and connecting and sharing photos. This is about monetizing culture. And so the very thing that Zuckerberg is sort of lifted up for in that movie as a hero of this sort of this creator, he's literally in real life doing to all of us, to hundreds of millions of billions of people, what the Winklevi were doing to him in the movie. Like it's entirely flipped. Wow. He is he is like sucking the value out of our life and enriching himself. And it it makes me so fucking furious mm-hmm. that he feels unstoppable. Which is why everybody should vote for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of Warren, uh, she has repeatedly come down on Facebook for its ad policy, which exempts politicians from third-party fact-checking, making it easy to disseminate fake news on the site. Earlier this month, a recording was leaked of Zuckerberg telling employees that a Warren presidency would suck 
for the company. Mm. <laughs> All right, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few days later, uh, Warren's campaign ran an ad on Facebook that intentionally contained a lie to draw more attention to the issue. The fake ad was basically like... Um, Zuckerberg endorses Trump, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, It was Zuckerberg endorses Trump. Um, And then she said, that's not true, but here's what it is about Facebook. And um, Facebook took to Twitter to respond, which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also the stupidest sentence I've ever heard. (laughs) Facebook took to to Twitter after posting an Instagram. Elizabeth Warren looks like broadcast stations across the country have aired this ad nearly 1,000 times as required by law. FCC doesn't want broadcast companies censoring candidates' speech. We agree it's better to let voters, not companies, decide. All right. Chilling. <laughs> so here's here's the really important point to make. I think what matters most in this was Warren's response to this. In which, yeah. And I, I love her. Right, me but too. none of us are perfect. Um, she accepted the frame there, and that's a problem. Um, you cannot equate digital advertising to terrestrial standard television. When was the last fucking time somebody burned a DVD of a political ad from their television, copied it 5,000 times, and sent it to their friends and neighbors? You cannot equate the two. And the reality is somebody who was a grassroots organizer, um, has done a lot of relational organizing, not just in my union, but I worked for the Obama campaign. I've I've worked in local politics. Um, Personal relationships and trust are invaluable. And that's what Facebook leverages. It's not a static. It's not your television projecting a thing at you. It is your friend who you trust saying this is something I believe in. That is incredibly powerful. And you can't the capriciousness with which Mark Zuckerberg dismisses the power of his platform is fucking infuriating. Own your shit, motherfucker. You have fucked up our democracy. You're going to fuck up democracies all over the world because you're like, oh, just let voters decide. As if there isn't rafts of, of data and science to prove the power of propaganda to prove the, the, the virality of these moments. Um, it, it's like walking around with a fucking loaded machine gun on automatic, like like you've tied the trigger, and you're just like, oh, it's shooting everyone. I don't know, I guess. Well, let the voters decide. It's fucking insane. <laughs> I, I think you I should lean in to being nice to people with differing political uh, views than you. Sorry, that was me tying Sheryl Sandberg and Ellen DeGeneres to the <laughs> conversation. <laughs> lean in. That works so well it for also, rich, powerful people. It, it's also... It, when I think of Facebook, I can't stop thinking about how just casual our relationship is with it. Like, I literally think, like, oh, well, I've got to find out where pool parties are, <laughs> you know? And you're talking about, like, like Bowser from Mario yeah. is just destroying itself. But these are interrelated things, yeah. you know? Right. And so much of it, too, is the fact that we have a Trump presidency mm-hmm. right now because um, Trump uh, threatened to sue Facebook and Google back in June for being quote unquote, biased against conservatives. Uh, And his administration has pressured the Justice Department to take action against the company before. This is why Zuckerberg is trying to make friends with people on Trump's side, because he's very afraid that Bill Barr's Justice Department is going to bring an enforcement action to try and break up the company. And so in order to save his company, he is now in bed with people who want to destroy democracy. I mean, this it's all about power. This whole game, all of it, is power and leverage. All of it. Um, and it's it's not about values with folks like this. It's not a, and it's not even about 
I mean, saving your company feels so like succession. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 like breathing to these. I mean, I have I, I consider it both an incredible privilege and sort of a horror that I've grown up sort of with my feet on either side of this line. Like I, I've I've grown up in this business. My fa- my father has very powerful, very wealthy friends, you know, and I also grew up in Texas and, you know, like I'm in the arts and there's that great old, you know, quote from, I don't know, World War II Germany, maybe I can't remember, but, um, you know, be afraid of the artists because they mix with all social classes. So I feel like having grown up the way I grew up, I, I have a little bit of insight into into the mentality of this sort of uber wealthy master of the universe um, set. And, and it's it's like breathing. It's where is the power? Where is the leverage? I go there. I connect with it. I use it to my advantage. Values don't come into play. And so trying to have a conversation about what Mark Zuckerberg does in, in terms of values, it's like we're never going to win against him. This is why I find it so terrifying is it's all about power and leverage. And he has so fucking much of it. The only chance you have um, is someone not just in the government, but someone in the government who's willing to actually take a sledgehammer to the system. Because this, I mean... Again, his tentacles are international, and they are locked in. It's, I've just, I find him terrifying. And are you not resentful now of the social network? Because yes. I still think in yes. the back of our head, we're thinking of him as the guy who yes. created a site because he wanted to rank hot people. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, ultimately, you know, this is just a glib, fun social thing from somebody who, you know, was just being a boy. Right. And it's not just Facebook. You know, um, Jack Dorsey, Twitter. It's, mm-hmm. it's the exact same thing. You know, every time people tweet at Jack, when are you going to get Nazis on this fucking platform? He has the same incentives to not do that because the thing is these social media sites don't work for users. It's like that let the voters decide bullshit. It's they're not there for user experience. The point of Facebook, the point of Twitter is to make people use it. But they don't care about um, what it's like when we actually use it. As long as we're using it, as long as people are using the service, then they're happy. They don't want Nazis off of Twitter because no. they're fucking using it. Absolutely. you know. And Jack Dorsey has those same conversations with conservatives and like sits down with people so he can hear both sides, allegedly. And yeah. it's, it's bullshit. It is, but also, you know. Twitter's just not even remotely as powerful as Facebook. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though we think it we is. We think it is. It's not. That Twitter is like, it, it really is the tiniest little pond people are splashing around in. It doesn't have the international reach. It doesn't have the user base. It just, it doesn't. You would think the other candidates would hit as hard as Elizabeth Warren is hitting on this, no? Isn't that kind of surprising that no. she's, you know, leading the charge so hard? I, I There was a great article, I think it was The Atlantic, about her total dismissal of the Silicon Valley uh finance base. Yes, there's grassroots fundraising, but the way these campaigns really raise money is they have bundlers and, you know, the bundlers go out and they get all of their rich friends to max out. And that means you get a special Q&A with the candidate backstage before an event. Um, And Warren's doing none of that. And yet somehow Silicon Valley still loves her. (laughs) Like they're still raising money for her, even though she won't show up to their events. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, And I think there's something about her competency that resonates with that community. Um, I don't think any other candidate has that weird sort of alchemical overlap of righteous fury and willingness to take a sledgehammer to the system and demonstrated accomplishment and competency that inspires that base of money 
to work for her no matter what. Well, so they need all those other candidates need that fucking money, and they're too scared to say shit that will turn off the spigot. Well, and it also is the reason why I feel like so many of the other candidates are in this fight for the presidency, mm. whereas Warren is specifically in a fight for our democracy. Yes. You have this recent interview on Good Luck America with Peter Hamby where Mayor Pete basically was saying, you know, like, we're not going to beat Trump with pocket change. Talking about the fact that she said that she even wants grassroots money, like, if she were to win the primary. And it's this thing that he's on that side of, we need the Silicon Valley money. You know, mm -hmm. we need these people to be our friends. And it's as long as you have that mindset of we need to keep playing this game one certain way so I can win mm -hmm. instead of trying to actually challenge anything, we're just going to end it's up with problem. another mess. And the, that notion, first of all, Elizabeth Warren is not raising pocket change. Like that's, right. 20, what, $24 million from small donors? Like, give me a fucking break. Um, but also this notion that you need this massive billion-dollar war chest to win. Like Hillary spent billion a billion-something dollars and didn't win. Um, so much of that money goes into the pockets of consultants and ad buyers. Like, it's not on the ground. It's not in direct mailers. The amount of money you actually need, actually need to do the work on the ground to win is a manageable amount to raise. If what you have to do is shove a bunch of money in a bunch of consultants' pockets, then yeah, you need more money. Um, and I, I had such high hopes for Mayor Pete in the beginning, and I still very much like him, and I'm glad he's in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think the message of generational change is a really important one, and I'm glad he's saying it. But that man raises more money from Wall Street than anyone. Of course. Like, he is captured, period. I'm glad he's here, but there are two people in the race who actually legitimately seriously will take a sledgehammer to the system, which was, is what is necessary in this moment. Let's just be real. We are, we are so far afield um, from uh, systems that feed the middle class, that protect people, that, that uh, grow and, and feed life for your everyday average American rather than rich motherfuckers. She is the only one in the race who, I, I call myself a practical radical, and I think Elizabeth is too. You need someone who's willing to pick up the sledgehammer, but who understands exactly which studs in the building need to be hit and at what angle. It's not just about, we all want to feel good. We, uh, you know, Bernie makes a lot of people feel good. Yay. Feeling good isn't enough. You have have to know where the structural underpinnings are, and you have to know exactly how to take this. She's a real them. intricate diagnostician. Yes, I think. that's like, a great way to put you know. it. I just want the field to narrow. Like we're at this point where I'm, I'm for as many people in the boat as possible early on. Is let's air out all the ideas. Those early debates I just thought were beautiful. It was like this cross, cross section of America: men, women, brown people, black people. Fucking Andrew Yang. Um, <laughs> Uh, but now is the time to be fucking serious. Yeah. Like, the debates are still looking like Hollywood squares. Yeah. It's still a grid of people. Yeah. Yang, who also tweeted uh, in response to this Facebook thing, like, I think that sitting down with people with opposing viewpoints is a great thing. And it's by the way, it is. Of course and, it is. And where the fuck no is... No one would ever not say no, that, It's though. a great thing. And where the it's fuck is Mark, Zicker, Mark Zickerberg? I'm going to call him Zickerberg <laughs> from now on. Where, you know, where is his meeting with the with the fucking radical left? Like, where is... I don't know. I was about to say Matt Taibbi, but fuck that guy. You know, the, the interceptors and the, all those people on the far left who are the equivalent of the... Why, where are his dinners with those people? If he had come out and said, yes, I had that dinner. I also had this dinner over here. I yeah. would have been like, cool, dude. I believe you. He didn't say that. He's full of fucking shit. 
talk with people you disagree with, absolutely, but take the whole spectrum in, or you're you're a fucking liar. If he would watch Step Up to the Streets, yes. he would know that he needs to be in the streets where protests <laughs> began. Jesus Christ. What an instructive film. Yes. <laughs> I know all I know about politics from Step Up to the Streets. <laughs> when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Angelina, you're Hello. here, so we're going to let you go first. Okay, great. Um, my Keep It is very specific to Hollywood. I apologize to everyone else who's not in Hollywood. Um, my Keep It is to everyone insisting that the Writers Guild has already decided we're going on strike next year. Mm. Um, anyone who says that either, one, doesn't understand how collective uh, bargaining works, or two, is trying to scare you. Um, the membership decides what we're going to fight for and how hard we're going to fight, and we're only just starting to have those conversations. So if anyone out there is terrified about a strike next spring, please stop being terrified. We have not decided. We all decide collectively, and that conversation hasn't happened yet. I have this tendency to believe you. Oh. <laughs> you should. Well, that's why we I'm voted tr- for you. I'm a truthful lady. <laughs> we vote for people we believe in. Yeah. How about that? Wild. Yeah. yeah. Unsettling. Lewis, <laughs> what is your keep it? Um, my keep it is uh, somewhat preemptive and a little bit mean, frankly. Um, <laughs> Fun. Here's the thing. Uh, my keep it is to Margot Robbie apparently already running away with the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Okay, <laughs> this campaign has begun. She's in this movie Bombshell, which is about Roger Ailes and the women at Fox News, where Nicole Kidman plays Gretchen Carlson and Megan Kelly, through the magic of, I'll say, Adobe, the clay material, has turned into <laughs> Megan Kelly. It's very shocking. But there's, get, there's a lot of buzz around uh, specifically Margot Robbie, who plays kind of a composite character who starts off as this... Pollyanna, uh, uh, a fourth estate loving uh, person, and then eventually warps into, you know, a very jaded person after what happens to her at Fox News. It's and the black swan of politics. Precisely. Um, <laughs> I, I, people, people are raving about this performance. It's, this movie doesn't come out for a while, but I don't like races for the Oscars decided early. We've already got, we've talked about J-Lo. We already had a couple of weeks where people decided J-Lo had the Oscar and now no one's talking about that. So I'm angry at that conversation and I'm angry at this new one. Let's just resume this in a month month and a half when, you know, everybody else has come out. Judy Dench inevitably playing, you know, the third most exotic Marigold Hotel, you know, <laughs> bus boy or whatever she's playing. So anyway, I'm rooting for Margot Robbie, but also... I don't know that I need her to have an Oscar yet, even though it would be her third nomination, and even though I think she did deserve it for her past two uh, nominations, not wins. Not wins. Mm, I love how seriously you take the Oscars. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the only thing there's I take joy in taking seriously anymore. You know what I mean? Everything else is I have to take seriously have because to, it's serious. We yeah. have to find, we have to take the joy where we can find it. Right. Yeah, yeah. These stupid Yanny Laurel debates, unfortunately, are important and restore my sanity. <laughs> Wow. Anyway, um, what's yours, Ira? My keep it this week is to I'm going to explain this very quickly to both of you because um, you're white, um, and I don't think that you even saw what? this happening on Twitter. Um, there has been a Twitter user named Emo Black Thought who has been sort of a skincare guru. Like she used to tweet all the time about, um, "Are you doing your skincare routine?" You know, and like really tweeting just sort of like funny, positive memes for black women. Um, Amassed a ton of followers, um, even some celebrities, and people like knew who she was um, and interacted with her. Um, 
she was going to reveal who she was finally and did it through Paper Magazine. Um, And it turns out that Emo Black Thought is not a black woman. It's a bisexual black man. So I thought this... you were going to say it was Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. I... Uh, so this man has been pretending to be a woman for years online. And some people could say that, oh, you know, the tweets sounded like they were a gay person. But there's the fact that this person, Isaiah Hicklin, was also faking periods. You oh, know, come like on. tweet with women like, oh, I'm on my period mm-hmm. or like, oh, this is what having a period is like. Uh, so it was basically like a bi, a light skinned black man um, co-opting, you know, sort of like black women's struggle and using them to sort of like get clout and get fame on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy that that happened. And the other crazier thing is this person is real life friends with Little Nas X. Huh. Which makes sense when you remember the fact that Little Nas X used to be a Nicki Minaj Stan. fan yeah, on the uh-huh. internet and then changed his name and completely um, has erased that part of his life. Huh. Is this person also the age of Little Nas X? Yes. Oh, so he's like 20 years old. Yeah. So. These scammers get younger and younger. Yeah. <laughs> they know more than we do, Angelina. We're fucked. I so fucked. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I just think it's gross. Like, it's racial jungles all level. Like, you're pretending to be a black woman on Twitter. You have a huge fan base of black women, and then it turns out you are not a black woman. So I would assume that the followers this person has, a majority of them are disappointed by this yes, revelation. Yes, disappointed and angry. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. he set himself up for this in a sort of Dear Evan Hansen, like, right. the truth will come out eventually and I'm going to look like shit. Uh, yes, yeah. scenario. And it wasn't even a coming out to apologize for lying. It was coming out because they had gotten sponsorship deals mm-hmm. and like, you know, sort of like um, influencer status. And they wanted to enjoy that status as themselves instead of this anonymous Twitter account. How'd that, how'd that work out for you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Lord have mercy. Oh. Uh Anyway, uh, I have one more keep it. Go on. Uh, Do tell. We are coming up on 100 episodes next week. I've noticed. It seems like so many. And we've had too many without a permanent third co-host. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, I think we're ready for her to join the show. I agree. It's time. I'm going to give her a call. All right. Zap it up. Hello? This is John. Is this Fav? Oh, absolutely Hello? not. Absolutely not. What Hello? happened there? <laughs> I accidentally called John Favreau. Oh, well, you poisoned this podcast with his voice. Well, I am disgusted. I'm going to call the real co-host. Go buy another <laughs> snapback and pair of sweats for John Lovett, John Favreau. Hello? Aida. Aida Osmond. Hi, is this Ira? It is Ira. And Lewis. Hey, Aida, do you want to be our permanent co-host? <gasps> Of course. Are you kidding me? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my God. I'm beaming from ear to ear, and my ears are large. So that's an, <laughs> an accomplishment. Well, just like everyone else who finally gets it, you're going to have to leave New York and move to L.A. The subway rats will be dying without me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Great. 
I'm super excited to come. Thank you so much, guys. I'm so excited to have you. You are vivacious. Your Twitter is wild. <laughs> Borderline problematic. Yes. <laughs> Just the way I like it. Good, good. And we now you have to sit with us every week and kill it. So I'm very, very excited. And also, we are 20 years older than you. So, I mean. That's right. not true. Maybe collectively. <laughs> you can. Together. You can teach me what TikTok is. And Triller. Sure. No Can we guess. make some? Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll have to tell me what it is first, but okay. okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll see you next week for your first episode. I'm on my way. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.